Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target, but not fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, Come on, it, we call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Yeah. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to be nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Place to be Nation. Welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to be Podcast. I'm your co-host, Justin Zero. Could you live here inside the PCBN studios? And joining me, as always, is my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Good evening, Place to be Nation, PTB Wrestling Network family and friends. Welcome to episode 634 of the longest-running episodic motherfucking gold standard. Uh, yeah. Another summer in the books, uh, Jr. We had some fun as we usually do. Mm-hmm. Had some St. Mary's fun. Had some fun in Motown. It was a good. Uh, it was a good summer. Indeed, uh, this is our first, I guess, post Labor Day podcast edition. So, uh, like you said, kind of wrapping up. And before you know it, we'll be doing a Halloween special and Christmas episode, and on and on. Yep. Roll exactly another year, uh, but. Yes. Tonight we do, uh, speaking of years, we are wrapping up the calendar year of 2009 mm-hmm. on our journey. We'll be wrapping up our vintage uh, pop culture year of 1995 as well, so we'll put that to bed. But before we do all that, let's bring in our guests. You've heard him here before in this show and on a cadre of other podcasts across all of our networks, and that is our good friend, Mr. Scott Shiflett. Shif, how are you? What's going on, Shif? I'm glad to be back, boys. We're you know, come to the end of 2009, where I was 20 years old, uh, streaming these pay-per-views illegally. Um, I think <laughs> the the uh, statute of limits limitations have passed on that, but yes, that's good, where I was watching all of these. I think you're good. <laughs> well, very good. Uh, so, as I mentioned, we will be covering TLC 2009 this evening. Before we do that, what we're going to do is head back in time. 14 years to cover our vintage pop culture corner and uh, to kick all that off we're going to go back in time on this date in history in the world of wrestling scott Criscolo, what was going on besides this pay-per-view oh, i'm sorry well it wasn't the pay-per-view yet but what, what was, was going on in the world any pay-per-views <laughs> house shows or other cards going on all right well on this date it'll be our last this is it jr our last uh evening of or our last day in 1995 and we actually have a pretty great show that happened on this date. Not WWF. The uh, the flamethrower was off on this date. I think um, I think In Your House 5 was probably like a week later. I think it was the 18th, I think, that in right, Hershey. Yeah. yeah, so about a week. Uh, we're about a week out from In Your House number 5 uh, in Hershey. Uh, the Hitman and the uh, Bulldog. 
Um, and of course, I believe that is the Triple H uh, slop uh, hog pen tetanus shot match. So, um, but WCW was part of this isn't their show, but it, they are part of uh, a pretty great event. December 13th, 1995 from Sumo Hall in Tokyo. It is the 1995 Super J Cup, which is, of course, one of the more uh, well-known uh, mm-hmm. I guess, junior heavyweight slash cruiserweight-ish um, tournaments that went on in the early mid nineties in Japan. Uh, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's kind of replaced now by this, by the, uh, uh, the, um, what is it called now? The I'm brain farting, the, the, um, the one with the tournament they do in the summer. G1. The G1. Thank you. Thank you, shift. The G1 climax. I think that, I think th- that kind of replaced this. Um, but here is your, uh, here is the, uh, tournament one night. And there was one non-tournament match. So the opening round looked like this. Gran Naniwa pinned Damian at 636. Mm-hmm. Shinjiro Otani defeated Masaki Mokazuki by submission at four minutes. I think, had Starcade happened already? I think it did, right? Uh, no, Starcade would not have happened. That was like after Christmas that year. Okay. All right. So, of course, Starcade 95 was the big, uh, right? That was the big us japan crossover show yep because I, I just thought of otani isn't he the one that fought eddie yes yep. yes and yep. the niwa would be uh he would pop up in ecw when they bring in uh the Mishinoga pro guys during that run of like 97 when they bring ah, in yes so that's he right has a pretty good run in 97 into 98 yes you're correct i remember that too uh ultimo dragon pinned soichi funaki at 652 is that that funaki uh yes, it is. It is right. Indeed, indeed. indeed. Yes. indeed. <laughs> stereo. Uh, Guido defeated when Guido wasn't old. Defeated Masayoshi Motegi via submission at six fifty six. Um, Dos Caras pinned El Samurai at seven minutes, and Chris Jericho mm. pinned Hanzo Nakajima at six forty eight. Quarterfinals. Jushin Riger. Riger. <laughs> Jushin Riger uh, pinned Grand Naniwa at 9.30. There must have been buys. Pinned Grand Naniwa at 9.13. Ultimo Dragon pinned Otani at 13.30. Guido pinned Dos Caras at 8.54. And probably, the obviously, the WCW slant here. The Canadian Chris's wrestled on this uh, evening. Chris Benoit pinned Chris Jericho at 13.42 with a falling power slam from the middle turnbuckle. So I'm sure that match was a gem. In the semis, uh, Riger pinned Ultimo Dragon at 17.19. Guido pinned Benoit at 9.20 in uh, the one non-tournament match. Speaking of uh, ECW, JR, uh, Rey Mysterio pinned Psychosis at 9.39. And they those... making the rounds with that matchup. Right. What What was that? Uh, early 96, they would do the house, right? Those two matches? Yeah, they were in ECW in early 96, and they're in WCW by, whatever, June, right? That's And that, they're on pay-per-view at the Bash, that match. Right. Um, so Or Bash of the Beach, one of them. So, yeah, this is... Uh, Early on, for sure, for them is just starting to get noticed. I think the was a triple op pay per view that was around this time, right? Where Bischoff, like where they were Heyman first noticed them. I think that was around late yeah. 95. So, yeah. Um, and then in the finals of the tournament, uh, Riger pinned Guido at 15 uh, 47. So Jushin Liger, um, won the uh, 1995 Super J Cup. Uh, JR, sure. 
All right. Uh, so, Anything? any thoughts, guys? Anything? No. No, I mean, it, it. I mean, seems like a pretty good card, right? Liger is a big star, obviously already. He had been in you know America earlier on um, a little bit, but he would uh, really kind of bounce back and forth from here on. But of course, it was famously on the first Nitro earlier in the year. Uh, most, maybe more famously at that point, had the great match of Brian Pillman at Super Bowl two. So, obviously, I think you know, well known enough and established in America. Um, and of course in Japan. So no, that sounds like a, a good tournament. I'm sure it's well-regarded and yes. uh, pretty infamous winner. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, I, so based on what I've seen here on uh, wiki, uh, the super J cup actually still goes on. So this is separate from the uh, G one climax. The first one of course was in 1994. I have that on DVD somewhere. Um, Wild Pegasus one. We all know, of course that was Chris Benoit. Uh, Liger won it again when it came back. It took six years off, five years, five years off. And then they did a two-night in 2000, and Liger won that one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, actually, it was two tournaments. Uh, Liger beat Tiger Mask, and then he beat SEMA. They did it again in 2004, and uh, Naomichi Marf- Marufuji won it. And he also won it again when they did it in 2009. So they don't do it all the time. Uh, they did it again in 2016. Kushida who I'm actually going to see live uh, at the end of the week. Uh, he won it. Uh, he won both of those. And then El Fantasmo won it in 2019 and again in 2020. So they do it, uh, uh, you know, as well as the G1 Climax. So anyway, right. so that was uh, that was the only thing going on, but a good tournament on this date, December 13th, 1995. So for the last time this calendar year, JR, let's fire up the Herb, and what do we got for Mr. Coons? All right, let's dive in. We got three batches of herb for you tonight, and we're going to kick things off with November 23rd, 1995, from our buddy Herb up at the University of Waterloo. The Survivor Series took place this past Sunday. It'd be forced to give it a thumbs in the middle, or perhaps a slight thumbs up, thanks to a world title picture with increased potential. Positives. Another stellar performance with Shawn Michaels, although he didn't shine as much as usual, sharing time with the other wrestlers in the match. Another very good performance by Bret Hart. Bret won the day of title from Diesel, giving the majority of the match to Diesel to keep him strong after the title loss. Bret won with a surprise small package after a memorable bump through the ringside Spanish commentary table. After the match, Diesel demolished Bret and began his attempt to walk through the midline of heel and face. Also a good performance by 123Kid, who's seemingly invigorated with his new role. It seems likely that Sid and 123Kid tag team will eventually win the tag team titles. He was wrong on that one. <laughs> yes, he was. The <laughs> negatives. The indefensible waste of Japanese women flown for the pay-per-view and subsequent tapings. This match was a throwaway, as far as I'm concerned. The best wrestler that appeared on the pay-per-view, Kyoko Inoue, didn't get to show a thing. She tagged in and was pinned instantly. Cheparita Sari got her to do the Sky Twister Press with the usual sloppiness. Lioness Asuka got to do her giant swing. And Saki Hasegawa got to do her series of underhook suplexes. Aja, King, uh, Aja Kong did do her spinning back fists. Other than those four moves, the Japanese women essentially did nothing. It was easily the worst match involving so many All Japan women wrestlers I've ever seen. The commentary was abysmal. Jim Ross trying to yell out names and moves over a match unrelated commentary of Vince McMahon and Kurt Hennig, who preferred to make jokes about which women they would date. The Undertaker, for reasonable facsimile, returned to the ring to lumber through another match. Goldust got his second strike. Having a second bad pay-per-view match, you're sure of a hell of a lot better as Dustin Rhodes. If you include his uh, one Superstar TV match, Goldust is struck out for me. WCA's World War III on Sunday tentative lineup is a 60-man three-ring battle royal. 
with WCW uh, wrestlers Hulk Hogan, Kensuke Sasaki from New Japan, the winner getting the WCW title. Bull Nakano and Akira Hokuto versus Cutie Suzuki and Mayumi Ozaki. Ric Flair versus Sting. Johnny B. Bad versus Diamond Dallas Page for the TV title. And the Diamond Doll is on the line. Kensuke Sasaki versus Chris Benoit for the U.S. title. Lex Luger versus Randy Savage. And Big Bubba Rogers versus Jim Duggan in a taped fist match. The Ric Flair versus Sting match is doubtful since Flair is recovering from shoulder surgery. Randy Savage, also with a bad wing, will likely work the show anyhow. It's not like his match would have been good uh, if all was well. Savage will work through Starcade before taking three months off to have surgery and recover. The likeliest candidates to win the title will be Lex Luger, Hulk Hogan, Sting, and The Giant. Since talk persists that Hogan is going to take time off to film a movie, there's a strike against him. Sting is set to feud with Kensuke Sasaki with the horseman on his back. He seems to have enough issues to keep him busy, so there's a strike for him. The Giant will have no one to feud with while Hogan leaves. He needs to be protected a bit while he learns some more and continues to choke slam people for her eventual run against Hogan. That's a strike against him. That leaves Luger as the strongest choice. Sasaki versus Benoit, the women's tag, are the most promising matches on the show, but you have to wonder, will each be given time? On the live 1120 Raw TV show, Shawn Michaels collapsed to the ring as part of an angle to explain why the day's most charismatic wrestler is taking time off yet again. Michaels is legitimately still suffering from symptoms linked to the concussion he suffered in a parking lot beating in Syracuse. That beating saw Michaels forfeit the ice to tell to Dean Douglas in your house, one of the most emotional scenes at a deaf event in recent history. The second New Japan edition of WCW Pro aired on TBS this past weekend. Sonny Ono was absolutely terrible yet again, offering Chris Cruzon a Japanese car because he said it was disgusted by the oil stain Cruz's American car left in the parking lot. Jushin Liger and Koji Kanemoto actually tried to work his heels, both doing some flashy moves, but not many. Liger actually had a good match against Barry Houston. This time around, Ono seemed to have the Japanese wrestlers' finishing moves written down. Unfortunately, they were the only moves he mentioned during the match, despite Luger doing a few interesting things like a fisherman buster suplex. I just don't know who this bullshit xenophobic stuff is supposed to appeal to. It plays to the worst stereotype of hick Americans, in my opinion, but I'm assured by friends in Tennessee that the fans in the heartland of Jarrett promotions don't care either. Speaking of commentary, Dusty Rose's presence of Saturday Night and Pro have killed both shows. Saturday Night aired a wonderful Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero match this past week that Dusty tried hard to ruin. WCW is doing a bit with Dean Malenko on Saturday Night, where Dean gives the name of a hold, explains its effect, and then applies it on a jobber. The first hold is the Texas Cloverleaf submission. I can hear Japanese commentators scream Texas Clover hold as I type. Of course, this is a great idea, but it comes up weak when Dusty and everyone else goes back to not calling the moves and matches. It's exactly opposite of what happens at WWF, where Jim Ross occasionally yells out the name of a move, sometimes incorrectly, like Ahmed Johnson's Tiger Bomb, which should be called a Tiger Driver or a Liger Bomb, and all those top rope dives that he calls a moonsault. No one ever explains anything. Really, both promotions need to have the commentators go to school, learn the names of the moves, so the younger guys are throwing into matches. If the commentators are competent at calling moves, then ha- having a guy like Demen- Malenko demonstrate the moves will fit in better, and the fans will learn the names, and they'll get over. He runs the Raw versus Nitro ratings. The most recent was a 2.0 for Nitro versus a 2.6 for Raw. WF has In Your House on December 17th, Davey Boy Smith versus Bret Hart. Uh, Razor Ramon versus Goldust for the IC title. Ahmed Johnson versus King Kong Bundy. Uh, oh. This is quite the card he's all over the place with. As Bundy's been gone for quite a while. Uh, There's talk that Razor Ramon will be dropping the IC belt to Hunter S. Helmsley in the new year. And of course, Razor and Goldust do not fight it in your house either. Starcade on December 27th, Sting versus Kensuke Sasaki. Koji Kanemoto versus Alex Wrights for the IWGP junior title. Randy Savage versus Hiroshi Tenzan. Lex Luger versus Masa Chono. Johnny B. Bad versus Hiro Saito. Eddie Guerrero versus Shinjo Otani. And Chris Benoit versus Jushin Liger. WF has a Royal Rumble on January 21st. 
So a lot going on there, guys, on uh, this first batch of Herb. Any uh, thoughts? King Kong Bundy showing up. Like like he said, he'd been gone forever. Um, I think he was pretty much right with the Starcade card from the sounds like. But, you know, the um, World War Three. you know, we get the infamous observe list brother from uh, from from Hogan. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Savage was supposed to be out, which I think he ended up wrestling to like all next year he didn't go away until halloween havoc i think uh hogan or savage yeah yeah, yeah. he's on consistently i mean he wins the belt so yeah he's there right he doesn't go off until halloween havoc and then he comes back um as chad and i are covering on the wrestling war zone over the north south connection um he comes back on the january 20th 97 nitro the one from the united center mm. yeah so like her was way off on that per, per use but uh sound like her Meltzer with uh Saying how the, uh, the the Japanese women didn't didn't get their shine, so it was just love how everything is still the same. Here we are, almost thirty years later. Mm. I don't understand how Herb does not know that King Kong Bundy's not around. I mean, like, where are you, Herb? I know Canada's another planet, but I mean, really, um, he was he wasn't wrong about. I mean, I'm not just saying this because it's me, but obviously. Herb thought that somebody saw something in Triple H at even in late 95. Um, and obviously he was only off on the Goldust stuff by a month. Um, I guess he didn't think Goldust had a, I guess that wasn't in the cards. I'm assuming um, Goldust winning. Uh, so that's interesting, but I mean, the rest of it's pretty much her goulash, but um, the fact that he, by December, he had no idea that King Kong Bundy was, it's not in the WWE anymore. It's just mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, he had left... Well, I mean, it wasn't that long ago because I'm pretty sure he's in, like, a King of the Ring qualifying match for King of the Ring 95. So, like, I don't think he'd been gone that long, but I, I don't think he had been on TV at all since, like, June or July. So, mm. um, it's just random. He thinks he's going to get thrown into this pay-per-view match out of nowhere. All right, let's go ahead of week two, November 30th, uh, drop 12-1. World of War Three took place this past Sunday. I give the show a thumbs up, although not overly strong one. The positives: Johnny B. Bad versus Diamond Dallas Page. Whatever reason, Bad is able to have really good matches with Page. Page has really tried to improve a lot this year, and it has a good repertoire of spots. The angle with Kimberly, the Diamond Dallas, predictable but well done. I enjoyed this more than I expected. The women's tag, although the first few minutes had me darn worried they were going to have a terrible match filled with ter- typical posturing. The Japanese heels have worked into North American matches. They turned it up and had a very good but not excellent match. Bring out Mike today to provide commentary helped to add a lot. At least he was allowed to speak. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan were abysmal, and throughout the whole night they were easily rivaling Vince McMahon and Kurt Hennig the week before. Today was better than Jim Ross the week before. The Chris Benoit versus Sasaki match again wasn't quite as good as they expected, but Sasaki is not the greatest worker in the world, so a very good match is a definite plus. Ric Flair versus Sting. Some people complain that we've seen it before, but I won't. These guys have great matches. This wasn't their best ever, but it was a solid match, and I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, the negatives, the Battle Royal. I hate Battle Royals. I expected absolutely nothing from this. By their very design, Battle Royals don't allow workers to have any creative spots in the ring because there are just too many guys in the way. Sometimes guys work a spot or two on the floor or apron to add interest, but the Battle Royals are filled with spots where everyone fakes training while tangled in the ropes. It was a bit of a surprise to have Randy Savage win, but the final angle just made Hulk Hogan seem like a whining asshole. 
Lex Luger versus Randy Savage. This time, everything fits a logical storyline. Savage submits, goes on to win the world title, putting Steen behind Luger, eventually uh, challenging for the belt. Sting comes in to talk to Luger while realizing the submission hold, reversing an earlier angle. Still, the match was terrible. Luger stinks. He's had less than a handful of memorable matches his whole career. The tag with Sting versus the Signers and a few against Flair. Savage was injured and really been lackluster during his stint. The Sting and Luger friendship storyline will obviously hopefully deliver something interesting. Otherwise, a somewhat well-done buildup will be wasted. Duggan versus Big Bubba. Bubba was a, be- a hot commodity when he came in. He's been reduced to this role. Duggan is just awful. This is the worst match on the show because it doesn't even further anything interesting. And the commentary. Today saved the women's match where Shivani and Bobby were terrible the rest of the night. The funniest moment was when Shivani chastised Heenan for not doing his homework before the show. These guys have done homework in years, so no one knows how to call a match anymore. They missed a few of the little things in the booking. For example, on the Battle Royal, Hawk saved Sasaki from elimination. No one mentioned they were former teammates in New Japan. So Hawk was saving his buddy. All right. The WF and WCW have reported both uh, changed their tag team champions. Sting and Lex Luger defeated Harlem Heat to win the tag titles. Coincidentally, there's talk that Sherry Martell is finishing up. And the 1-2-3 Kid and Sid have defeated the Smoking Guns to win the tag team titles, which, again, did not happen. U.S. federal prosecutors are investigating whether there was witness tampering in Vista Command's steroid trial. Gene Oakland took a cheap shot on the World War III pay-per-view, mentioning this item and hyping the hotline. After running just four, uh, for just in the four years, Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling is folded with severe financial woes. Uh, the latest Raw versus Nitro, Nitro won 2-5 to 2-3. Uh, in your house on December 17th, he had, now has... Uh, Bulldog versus Brett, Razor versus Goldust still, and Ahmed Johnson versus Dean Douglas, which he says will be Douglas's final show with the company. Starcade, uh, tentative lineup is Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage. The original idea of this pay-per-view showcasing New Japan versus WCW has changed. Hopefully the undercard will still feature some matches. <laughs> Completely wrong. Uh, Royal Rumble on January 21st, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels and Diesel versus The Undertaker, and that's it. Um, you know, Scott, like I, I felt that through part of 95 herb's sources had shored up and he seemed a little bit more dialed in but man these these two so far have been like wildly wrong like yeah where he's going with starcade is way off he's the matches he's saying for the rumble are obviously going to be worked up for mania um you know sitting kid winning the tag titles like you know I, I, sting and luger do win the tag titles but i don't know if they did it yet like so he's just really all over the place here yeah, it is. It is very strange. Uh, like, I don't know where he's getting these. Like, obviously, he got the Luger Sting winning the tag titles, right? But where the fuck did the one, two, three kid Sid thing come from? Was that like a a phantom thing? Like Rocker's rope break? Like, like I don't know where he's where these guys that are going to these house shows or tapings are getting their info from. But I don't know if that was if that was like a something that that had happened in a taping and the guy jumped the gun and something, you know, and he didn't really mean it or I don't know. It's or just like a game of telephone. It's because like passed along, passed along, passed along. And I mean, the internet was the wild west. So it was hard to verify things back then. Um, yeah, that, that is weird. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Schiff? I mean, think about it. Uh, I mean, these aren't even close. Usually we'll get like a guy off or maybe not a guy off. This is just, this is crazy. Yeah, I think he, uh, you know, was getting close to the end of the first semester. So he had uh, papers to grade and he was just throwing stuff at the wall. Um, I do think maybe he was trying to will the one, two, three kid and Sid thing to win the tag titles. I, I guess he was in the fantasy league. I, I'm unsure. Uh, but what he, I think what he wasn't right about was uh, Dean Douglas was supposed to be in that match, but Shane hurt his uh, back. And that's when we had Buddy Landell as his uh, prize student. 
against yep. Ahmed Johnson at that uh, in your house pay per view. And that still ends up being his last show. So that that was accurate. He's done. Yeah. Um, he's done after that. He goes back to ECW. So I think he returns at House Party in January. Uh, all right, let's get to our last batch of Herb. Uh, December 8th, he's a day late. He apologizes. was not near a computer the day before. From the Observer's Report on World War III, Randy Savage's title win climax, one of the best pay-per-views of the year, and one of the strangest. Meltzer gave four of the matches three stars or better and gave the other one, other three pretty bad ratings, but suggested that the Battle Royal would have been better live. I don't know about that final remark. The question is, why did the show get pretty well planned in this news, panned in this news group? I was called to task for even suggesting a mild thumbs up. For the record, the first round of Observer Poll was 69.3 thumbs up and 20.7 in the middle. Having good matches with guys like Benoit Malenko Guerrero in recent time, bringing in New Japan and All Japan women's talent, hasn't gotten praised because that talent is borrowed, despite the fact that the first three guys will air uh, apparently stay out with the company and New Japan is an exclusive business arrangement. It looks like the two tactile changes I heard about last week are just suggestions of future directions. No one else is talking about them happening or being taped. I've had the chance to win a bit, uh, watch a bit of ECW TV from this past year. The shows have dramatically improved by the presence of Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Feel free to apply that statement to other promotions, too. I still don't see it as the best wrestling TV show, though. There's too little wrestling from week to week. I loved Benoit versus Al Snow and found Shane, Michael, Sean, Shane Douglas's revisionist history well-delivered and suitably self-serving. I like the bit where Benoit and Malenko destroyed the public enemy with Rocker Rock in a wheelchair. Joey Styles is a lot better than the year before because he'd grown out of the bashing the other promotions as a key part of commentary. The regular talent, I'd say, would be ranked Benoit, Malenko, Sabu, Douglas, Rock, and Cactus Jack. I'm not at all sold on other talents such as Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, Raven, Mikey Whipwreck, Johnny Grunge, and others, but this doesn't surprise anyone reading this. Everyone tries and everyone works hard, but I only rave about the people on the first list above. Uh, Raw versus Nitro, same as last time. Uh, in your house, same lineup. Just mentions again that Douglas' is final show. Uh, the pay-per-view price is going up to $19.95 for In Your House from $14.95 with these as well. Star Katie still has Hogan versus Savage, Flair versus Sting versus Luger in a triangular match to determine the number one contender. Seven versus seven, WCW versus New Japan, Sting versus Suzuki. The other Japanese wrestlers on the show presumably include Chono, Saito, Otani, Kanemoto, and Liger, since they've all had TV time. WCW contingent will be Alex Wright, Guerrero, Savage, Bad, Sting, Benoit, and Luger. He runs down the original card. He says it'll likely change, but the show has potential to be the best of the year. It's weird that Sting, Luger, and Savage will all work twice, with Savage defending his title earlier or later in the show. The WWF has the Royal Rumble pay-per-view on January 21st, Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart and Diesel versus Undertaker, Clash on January 23rd, In Your House on uh, 218, Super Bowl on 211. So that's that's pretty much the whole Herb notes there um, for this batch. So... Uh, what do you think, Chef, of the uh, last batch here? Do you think – let me ask you this. Do you think that Hogan Savage was the original plan and that Hogan box maybe and kind of backs out because he doesn't, you know, want to be split pop against Savage and have to put him over maybe at Starcade Because he ends up not being at that show at all. And then he's on, I believe, the January 1st Nitro um, and then a bunch of Nitros until April when he takes his time off. But um, it, it made- Do you think that was a plan maybe? Yeah, it would have made a whole um, hell of a lot more sense because you could start with their split at um, at World War Three, where it's like he's like arguing with him, and then like the very next night at the Nitro, which is disgusting that I remember this off the top of my head, that um, he was like, "Show the tape of like of, of me not getting eliminated," and you know he was acting like Hogan at the '92 Rumble, and you know he 
you could do it. And then they do this flimsy. Yeah, with the they were teasing the split up the night before, like show show me the tape. Mm-hmm. And then they do this real flimsy excuse to suspend Hogan. Like I right, think either right. the week before Starcade or the week like two weeks before Starcade, where it's like he's going crazy and hitting giant with chairs, and which is how he's been acting, you know, since Halloween Havoc. And it just made no sense for him to just disappear. Either, you know, it would have been nice if they would have done it, but you know, it would have been probably been better than the Halloween Havoc match, which I really love, but Hogan's just a fool with the um, with the hair. But it definitely would have been a split pop. I don't even think it would have been a split pop. It would have been 70-30 Savage, to be completely right. honest. WW fans were mm-hmm. over Hogan as a babyface at this point. Yeah, I and I mean, his run between January and April is his, maybe is arguably his worst run of all time. Um, worst four-month stretch of his career, I, I would say, probably. And, yeah, it would have just started a week earlier <laughs> with, that, with that. So, I'm with you. Um, Scott, any thoughts on the Herb notes? Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like Hogan started to fade. I feel like in the summer, like after after you know, pretty much emasculating Vader. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Savage was starting to get a little more juice, like almost the fans, because WCW fans are like NW, you know, like the old school NWA fans are kind of accustomed to guys going in phases. Like, all right, cool, Hogan was at top. Time for Savage, and Hogan's like, no, brother, that's not how I do things, and I think. I think that's why by the fall he started to to peter out because I feel like fans fans do things in like stages in like WCW and NWA. It's like, all right, Hogan had his year. Time for Savage to have his year and Hogan could go do something else. And Hogan's more like, yeah, I'm here forever. And I think fans were like, no, you're not. So I think I think by the fall, um, I feel like Hogan definitely started to peter out. And uh, we all know what will happen the following year. But at the time, I don't think anybody realized what to do. Um, right. And that's why I think 95, really, for both the companies. I mean, everyone thinks WWF had such a terrible 95. WCW's 95 was really not that much better. And I think both big pro, big uh, companies are going into 96 definitely down. Um, but for WCW, I mean, they put a lot of money into this guy. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's tanking. So well, yeah, and the run of '96 ends up being so bad. Um, I'll say that last appearance he has in April was definitely one sweet day, uh, for sure. And one sweet day, of course, is also the top song on the Billboard charts this week in history, performed by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. And that's gonna bring us into Scott Criscola's vintage pop culture corner. Thank you, uh, JR. And that is indeed the beloved Mariah on our final pop culture corner of 1995. She and Boys to Men with One Sweet Day. They were number one last week. This is the third straight week. They are at number one. At number two, uh, a number one from a few weeks ago. In fact, it was the number one one uh, on our last episode of Survivor Series. And that was Exhale by uh, Whitney from Waiting to Exhale. Shoop, shoop. Uh, the number three song, <laughs> you know, Jr. Eventually, as we do these these pop culture corners, and we eventually get to, uh, we're gonna get to songs that are infamous or famous in uh, PTB wrestling lore. Uh, at number three, get the uh, spiked shoulder pads, 
the face paint and the coach bag. Hey, lover by LL Cool J at number three. Um, number four, Mariah, still there with Fantasy. Great song at number four. Uh, Coolio with Gangsta's Paradise from, of course, Dangerous Minds at number five. You'll See by Madonna at six. Dig It On You, TLC at seven. You Remind Me of Something by R. Kelly. You Remind Me of Something, a third grader. At number uh, eight, uh, Name by the Goo Dolls at number nine and run away by janet jackson at number 10 so uh, there we go a lot of fine songstress voices uh fired up um any thoughts Schiff? you were what zero years old so no <laughs> I, I, I was i was six uh i'm surprisingly a big uh boys to men fan and uh that mariah carey song is just a banger uh in you know good good baby yeah. making music that's all i'm saying it, it um, definitely oh, there's no doubt no doubt so, but the rest of it, I'm a little hit and miss with. Um, it'd be like 96, 97, where I'll start knowing more of the music <laughs> when right. you guys get there. But like yeah. now it's just like, uh, yeah, I, if it's playing, I'll know it. But like, I'm horrible with like song titles and bands. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there you go. So lots of uh, fine chartreuse, uh, chanteuse uh, voices in that top 10. So let's go from the radio to the uh, big screen. What was in the movies this week? It would be December 15th, the weekend of 1995. At number 10, Money Train. Number nine, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Of course, the sequel. Number eight, Casino. Number seven, The American President with Michael Douglas and uh, Annette Benny. Number six, Golden Eye. First James Bond film by Pierce Brosnan. Three... The top uh, three of the top five are debuts on that weekend. Number five, Sabrina uh, with Harrison Ford, the remake of the Audrey Hepburn film. I don't remember who played Sabrina in that movie. Man, I thought you were talking about Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> like, did she ever had a movie? I wish it uh, was. It was a movie, then they spun it off to a show. Oh, well, it was not that Sabrina. No, sorry. Melissa Joan Hart was not with Harrison Ford in this movie. Uh, number four, Father of the Bride, part two, little Steve Martin. Number three, another debut for the week, Heat. The first time ever that Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were on the screen at the same time. Obviously, The Godfather Part Two did not count because they were different parts of the Corleone timeline in uh, Godfather Part Two, but here they are not. Uh, number two, Toy Story, who was uh, number one it debuted when we, uh, 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 on our last show, JR. Another... Excellent debut at number one. Speaking of wrestling, a wrestler was in the remake. Jumanji. <laughs> there you go. The original. <laughs> it's a pretty good uh, stretch of movies here. I mean, that's that's all of them were like name movies. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Remember, Usually we get like one or two kind of slip in there. Like, what's that? I don't know. That. Yeah. Exactly. No. Nope. All all good and very different genres. You had you know mob and you had like rom-com and then regular romantic and action and you know it was it's it's a good mix it's a very good mix i agree so there you go so jumanji it's premiere weekend december of 95 was the number one movie at the box office speaking of number one my pic is going to try to stay number one as we take the field All right. So, JR, you have been in a uh, pretty good dogfight 
1995. You have uh, had some ups and some downs. What is the uh, tally right now? Uh, well, we ran some numbers earlier, and I believe we are at. Let me just double check. Let's see. All right, forty for me, and uh, thirty-seven for the field. Okay. So, Schiff, you got a chance here to win it for the field. Let's go, uh, field. All right, here we go. Week 16 of the 1995 NFL season. Here we go. Uh, I believe there were two Saturday games. Uh, yes, there were two Saturday games and then a bunch of Sundays and, of course, a Monday night game. So, uh, let us go. We begin with the first Saturday game, uh, Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, as the Steelers host the New England Patriots, Jr. Uh, I will go with the Steelers in this one. Okay. Schiff? I'm going to go with the Patriots. Drew Bledsoe threw for 336. Curtis Martin, JR knows him, rushed for 120, but the Steelers win. 41. Yeah, buddy. 227. The second. What are the Super Bowl, Schiff? Come on. Yeah. Know your history. Uh, The second game on that Saturday, we go to the Superdome in New Orleans. The Saints host the Green Bay Packers, Schiff. Oh, um, I just know the Packers have Favre, so I'm going to go with Packers. Okay. Yeah, sure. so I'll take the Packers as well. Uh, Jim Everett threw for 364 yards, but the Packers win, 34-23. That will be a theme on this day. Guys who threw for a ton of yards and lost. All right, yeah. let's go to Sunday. Let's go to Sunday. We go to Rich Stadium in Buffalo, where the Bills host the Miami Dolphins, JR. Uh, I think both teams are kind of in the same spots here, but I will take Miami with Marino. Okay. JR, uh, Schiff? Yeah, my best friend's a Dolphins fan. I'm, I'm going Dolphins. Dan Marino threw for 244, but the Bills win at home, 23-20. to 20. Wow. Uh, let's go to, I don't know what the name of the building was at the time. Was it Erickson Stadium in Charlotte in 95? I think so. Was it Erickson Stadium? Okay. Erickson Stadium in Charlotte. Where the Carolina Panthers host Chadley's Atlanta Falcons shift. Ooh, I think it was the Panthers' first season. I think you guys mentioned that. I'm going the Falcons. Okay, Jer. Yeah, I'll take Atlanta. Jeff George was your quarterback for the Falcons. He threw for 310 yards on this day, but the Panthers win. Wow. 21-17. Wow. Yeah. Uh, next we go to Soldier Field in Chicago, where the Bears host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jr. Uh, man, uh, neither teams uh, any hot shakes at this point. I think so. I will go the Bears. Okay, Jer- uh, Schiff. I'll go Bucks. Just try to make up for points. All right, Eric Kramer was your quarterback for the Bears. He threw for two fifty six. Rashawn Salam, the Heisman Trophy winner, rushed for one thirty four. Bears win thirty one to ten. The Bears. The Bears. Let's go to Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. The clock is ticking. I believe. Is this the last game? Was week 17 a, a road game? This might have been. Let me let me check week 17 real quick first. And then just to confirm. Were they on the road the following week? Uh, yes. Gentlemen, history was made on this date. The final home game for the original Cleveland Browns. Uh, they were playing the Cincinnati Bengals uh, at the uh, Mistake by the Lake Municipal Stadium, the last game for the Dog Pound. 
What do we got, Schiff? Man, the... I'm thinking, sorry. I would take the Browns because the Bengals sucked for years up until like three years ago. Mm. JR? Yeah, I'm going to, I was going to say like it'd be very Brownsy to lose this home game, but the Bengals are probably worse at this point, even than they were. Um, so I'm going to say that they had some pride and they win their, their final home game here. Indeed, they did. Ernest Biner, 121 yards rushing, final game uh, for a Browns running back. Browns 26, Bengals 10. And then Bill Belichick said, fuck this shit, I'm out of here. Uh, he did not go to Baltimore with him. Um, we go to the uh, Silver Dome in Pontiac, where the Lions host the other teams for a season, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, JR. I uh, will go the Lions. Okay, Schiff? We go Jaguars. Well, uh, on a game where Barry Sanders only rushed for 76 yards, the Jaguars actually played like an expansion team. The Lions win 44 to nothing. I'm sorry, Shiff, uh, which did you take? He took the Jags. I, I took the Jags. <laughs> took the Jags. He thought he'd get lucky because the Panthers won, but no yeah. such luck. Uh, all right, we go to the Astrodome in Houston. I don't know if this is – wait a minute. Is this the final game for the Oilers uh, in Houston? Let me go to the following – I feel like they're there one more year. And the um, answer is yes. No, I think this is it. Okay. I think this is it. This is the final – year in Houston. Well, it's definitely the final year in Houston, but this is the last game in the Astrodome as the Oilers take on the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. Shift. Oh, God. Um, I'm going to go with the Oilers. Closing out in style. Yeah, I'll take the Oilers as well because the Jets, again, only win a game that year, I believe. (laughs) So, yes. So, uh, Steve McNair, who I think was a rookie, 198 yards passing. Yes, the Oilers leave winners, beating the Jets 23-6. to uh, We go to the Vet Veteran Stadium in Philadelphia, where those sons of bitches host the Arizona Cardinals, JR. Uh, I will take the Eagles. All right, Schiff? Yeah, I'll take the Eagles, too. I did not remember that Dave Craig played for the uh, Cardinals, didn't we? I think we said that on a previous week. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. All the dead quarterbacks go there. Yeah, uh, he threw for 253. <laughs> but the Eagles won by a point, 21-20. We go to the, I'm guessing it was the TWA Dome at at that year, I'm pretty sure. Or were they playing at uh, Bush Stadium their first season? I guess No, I don't think they played at Bush. I don't think so. Was the Dome open yet? No, I don't remember. Let me see. I'll have to click that. Let me click the, uh... anyway, we're in the city of St. Louis. Uh, let me see where the game was. I, I don't know if the dome was open yet. Uh, yeah, it was. So they are, they are at the TWA dome as the St. Louis Rams host the Washington Redacteds. The Skinanders. Uh, Schiff, what did you boys do that day? I'm 85% sure we have Gus Farratt. I'm going with Gus Farratt. Okay. I think I'll pick Washington too. I think the Rams sucked that year when they went there. Well, uh, Schiff, guess who the quarterback of the Rams was on that day? Mark Rippon. Oh my goodness, what a throwback! And he threw for three hundred and forty-seven yards, but the uh, Skins won thirty-five to twenty-three. Uh, to the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, we go. The Colts host the San Diego Chargers. Jr. 
Uh, I will take. Uh, I'll take the Colts. Okay, I think Jeff? they were hot down the stretch. Jeff, I'll take the Colts as well. Well, Jim Harbaugh threw for two eighty-five, but the Chargers actually won twenty-seven to twenty-four. To the hole in the roof, Texas Stadium at Irving. <coughs> Excuse me, where the Cowboys host the New York Football Giants. Chef. I'm going with the Giants. I know they won the Super Bowl that year. You mean the Cowboys? So yeah, I meant the Cowboys. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You, wow, you that wish. was horrible. That yeah, was you win. Swing and a miss. I'll give you the Cowboys. I'll give you the Cowboys. The Cowboys yeah. for me as well. All right. Yes. Uh, yes. Cowboys won by also by a point. Same score as the other game. 21 uh, to 20 in the other NFC East game. Uh, we go to Arrowhead. The Chiefs host the Denver Broncos. Shoes uh, up. Schiff. No, uh, JR. Uh, uh, let me think. Where are we? Two, four, six. Yeah, it's you, JR. All right. Where's the Broncos and? And the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Okay. Um, I think the Chiefs are coming down a little bit here. Even though I usually go at home with the Chiefs, I will take the Broncos this time. Okay. Schiff? I think Montana's still there, so I'm going Chiefs. Uh, Montana was not there. Never uh, mind. He was gone. He was gone by then. John Elway threw for 242, but Chiefs did get the win, though. Damn it, 20, Chiefs at home. 20 to 17. Uh, we go to the Kingdome in Seattle, where the Seahawks host the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Schiff. Oh, God, I know nothing about this team, especially in 1995. I'm going to go with the Seahawks, just because okay. it's at home and the 12th man, which I don't even think was a thing yet. Uh, no, it was not. I'll take them as well. The quarterback for the Seahawks, man, we are pulling John Freeze. <laughs> he throws for 220. The Seahawks win big, 44 to 10. And finally, on Monday night, we go to Candlestick Park, where the defending world champion 49ers host the Minnesota Vikings, JR. I will take the Niners to hold serve at home. Okay. Chef? Yeah, the 90s was a Niners and Cowboys decade, so I'm going with the Niners. Steve Young threw for 425 yards. And Jerry Rice, I don't know if that, this is not an NFL record, but it's definitely top five, had 289 yards receiving. and But it was a closer game than the stats indicate. Niners win 37-30. to 30. All right. And I win 11-8. to eight. Schiff, you needed to beat me by three to, to uh, tie for the field, but you lost by three. But it was a good showing mm -hmm. uh, anyway. But that uh, gives me a six-game win for the season um i lost one week uh, i lost two of the weeks actually by one but the weeks i won i put some distance in between so i believe it ended up being uh 51 to 35 final on the season Ooh. okay so there you go so the 1995 season uh, will conclude uh we'll get into the playoffs depending on where we are in weeks over the next coming shows uh okay let us go now Uh, we are in December of 95 of the 95, 96 season. So just waiting for the page to load here. Uh, let's see the oh, taking a little longer than I thought. Uh, of course, the Rockets I'm stalling here. The Rockets are your defending champions. I think they played on this date. Uh, let's see. All right. Well, uh, the Celtics, they beat the Sixers 111, 100 Bulls beat the magic Lakers won in Detroit. Uh, Seattle beat the Spurs and uh, Houston, as I mentioned, beat Vancouver. So uh, to this point in the season, the Magic lead the Atlantic with a record of 17 and five, just a half game back of the Knicks. Knicks are 16 and five. 19 games into the season, the Bulls are 17 and two. 
the only team in the division with a winning record. In the Midwest, the Rockets lead at 17-5. and five, And in the Pacific, it is a virtual tie. The Sacramento Kings are 13-6. and six, And the Seattle Supersonics are 14-7. and seven. Let's check now what is going on on the frozen pond of the NHL. Of course, this was the first year after uh, the one of many uh, strikes <laughs> that went on during the uh, NHL season. We'll see what our teams did on this date. Uh, we have many. Uh, let's see. Sabres beat the Avalanche. Uh, Mr. Bennett. Uh, let's see. Whalers lost to Tampa Bay. And the Rangers beat the Bruins uh, 4-2. to two. So at this point in the season, uh, the Panthers lead the Atlantic with 46 points. Uh, Pittsburgh leads the Northeast with 41. Uh, the Red Wings lead the Central with 42. And the Avalanche, in their first season in Colorado, uh, lead the Pacific by 8 with 40 points over the Kings. And finally, what would a pop culture corner be without our journey uh, to beautiful Southern California for this week's episode of Beverly Hills 90210? We are, of course, in the middle of season uh, six, right? Yes, season six. Uh, this is uh, episode 14 of season six called Fortunate Son, and it aired on this date, December 13th, 1995. I feel like, JR, this is a very uh, nondescript episode. Uh, Donna fills in for Lisa at a convenience store. A young boy is caught stealing a teddy bear for his brother's birthday, but Donna covers for him. Donna and Joe get lost and run out of gas. Isaiah, the boy Donna helped, gets them out of a possibly dangerous confrontation by inviting them to his apartment to call a tow truck. Donna discovers that the 11-year-old and his younger siblings are left alone while their mom is at work. She expresses concern, but their mother comes home and tells her to butt out. Donna finds places for the kids in a daycare center that works with her sorority. Brandon alienates Nat and Susan as he gets carried away during the After Dark's charity casino night. Valerie infuriates Kelly and David by outbidding Kelly for a portrait sitting with Colin. She explains that the portrait is a Christmas gift for David. Hmm. Uh, Steve's father gets him a job at a talent agency. After Steve's unpleasant, incompetent boss is fired, she asks him to use his connections with the agency president to arrange a reinstatement, but he instead lets her know gently that her cause is lost. So clearly a nondescript, uninteresting Christmas episode. Of, yeah, uh, not a ton of cooking. For season six. And that is your Pop Culture Corner. All right. Well, with that all in the books, we're going to put 1995 uh, finally behind us. And our next episode will be into 96. So 95 is wrapped up. But we're going to fast forward 14 years to 2009. To the land of Derry to talk some TLC. December 13th, 2009, from the AT&T Center in San Antonio, Texas, where Mr. Schiff and I were earlier this year. Attendance 15,226, 228,000 buys. And, of course, we got some uh, facts here about this. The debut edition of TLC Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, where the big matches were either, if you can figure this out, a tables match, a ladders match, or a chairs match. Or, of course, a TLC match. This is Texas's 15th pay-per-view, which puts it in fourth place on the state's list to this point. It is the second Lone Star pay-per-view this year after WrestleMania in Houston and the fifth all-time in San Antonio, 
Mr. Schiff, do you remember the last time there was one in San Antonio? Oh, God. I know it's not the Survivor Series in, like, 95. Um, I'm horrible at this. I, I'm going to say, like, a no mercy or something. Uh, no, it was actually the 2007 Royal Rumble. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm horrible. I'm horrible at this. <laughs> On a November 23rd Raw, which is a special three-hour edition and one of my favorite editions of Raw of all time, Jesse Ventura served as the guest host. He would do commentary for the main event, along with Vince McMahon, marking the first time the two did commentary together since the August 18th, 1990 edition of Superstars. Uh, Schiff, have you seen that Raw? Yeah, actually I have. Um, you know, I was such a cool guy that I was watching Raw weekly while at college, and I, I remember uh, watching that, and you know, uh, you can tell that uh seemed like Jesse and Vince enjoyed doing it. Jesse was getting his barbs in the whole time. And it actually included a very good Carlito promo, which we'll talk about later with the show. But, um, yeah, I, I was really hoping they'd do something with Carlito. He's always been a favorite of mine, and mm-hmm. they just never did. And But he had a good promo that, might, that night in a pretty good match with Cena. He was really one of those guys that every – it's almost like Dolph now, like every few years – he would get like a renewed push um, and like, Oh, maybe this is the time it's going to click. Maybe this is the time it's going to hit. And I felt like it never was the time for whatever reason. Like they'd always kind of come back every, every six months or so they give Carlito the run. Um, it, it, they do the same with Dolph like years later. It's just one of those guys that they like him enough to keep him around, but never enough to like get fully behind. So yeah, it was, um, it was just a nice tease. Like if they would have had the two world titles, I'm sure he would have won a, won a world title. Like if they gave Dolph the, the token, the couple token runs. Um, but yeah, it's just like, like I've heard you guys mention, like this is like a lost generation of, yep. of, of talent and you're definitely seeing it and you're starting to see it erode with the lack of depth in, in, on the roster. Mm-hmm. And it was lost from 05 to 08, 09. So, Scott, any memories of um, that Jesse Ventura MSG Raw? Uh, I do remember it a little bit. I remember uh, him and uh, I remember the, the graphics were cool. And I remember him and Vince. Um, I remember him and Vince dressing in the uh, in the Blazers. And I remember you and I being bummed that it wasn't the uh, – I don't think they wore the powder blue. I think they just wore black. I think Vince yeah, I wore think socks, so. I think, which would have been great if they were wearing the the powder blue uh, superstars, uh, superstars uh, hoodies. That would have been uh, – that would have been – or hoodies, uh, blazers. That would have been uh, fairly Well, awesome. and the way they do it's great too because Jesse's the, the guest GM or whatever and – he or guest host, whatever the fuck it was. And he was like <laughs> – you know, I'm going to make Vince do commentary with me like the old like that was the hook of the episode, which is the way they did. It was so cool. It was like such a great throwback. One of my favorite yeah. laws of that era uh, yeah. and one of the rare good three hour episodes. Um, yeah. Obviously, they weren't three hours yet, but they would do these specials every now and then. Right. Yeah. Uh, on November 24th, Big Show had arthroscopic knee surgery. November 30th, Vern Troyer was the guest host. Uh, December 4th, WD recorded tribute to the troops at the Balad Air Base in Iraq. On Sadly, on December 4th, Umaga passed away from two heart attacks at the age of 36. I mean, Scott, like, we were surprised he was still hanging around earlier in the year. I think he was on as, what, as recent as like June or July with that feud with Jeff Hardy he had. I mean, we're, you know, not even six months from him being on TV. And I know he got released due to some of the drug issues and obviously probably, not probably, probably definitely led to his early demise. Um, 
super sad. That guy was so talented and so good in the ring and had such a great run and then was just gone at 36. Yeah, and uh, it's sad because uh, he was the same age as uh, Bray Wyatt would be. And uh, both of them had heart issues. And mm-hmm. um, Umaga was just trying to deal with the whole, uh, you know, weight thing. And it's it was really sad because, I mean, he had a kill. He had an amazing run in, you know, mid to late 06 and into 07. I know we had that infamous, uh, uh, well, infamous, I would say famous uh, debate about him and Flair that year. I think it was Backlash mm-hmm. 05. Um, but he was great these, these few years. And him and, you know. It's probably on almost everybody's GWWE list, the match with him and, uh, and Cena at the 07 Rumble, uh, the last man standing. And even the match at New Year's Revolution is really not that bad either. Um, he was great. He was a good heel, you know, and he was mm-hmm. part of the whole thing with Vince and Trump and all that. So it was it was really uh, – it's it was sad. It was really sad. I mean, this is the level nine years earlier, or I guess almost ten years earlier, of Yokozuna. Uh, almost the same thing. And yeah. it's, it sucked, you know, it sucked. That family just, you know, they, they can't uh, balance. It stinks, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, very sad shift. Very sad to see a guy who had so much um, promise and looked so good to, to go so young. Yeah. And, you know, I was shocked when JT said that he was 36. My mind went to the same spot. You, yours did Scott with, damn, that was the same age that Bray did, you know, with, with, with the heart attacks and everything. And um, it's just very sad. I remember hearing it and it's like, uh, especially as I've gotten older, it's like a gut punch with the wrestlers because we had sort of gotten away from like the wrestlers dying of drug issues, which was prevalent a couple years before where it seemed like every other week we were losing like one of our heroes that we watched growing up. So right. it, was, it was hard to like hear that and like, you know, heard how he had kids. I mean, I know his son is actually just wrestling Again, I think uh, just just debuted recently in um, you know in, in the summer of 2023. I want to say for MLW, that may be incorrect, but um, it just a heartbreaking thing. And I uh, he had just got done with that Hulkamania tour that I remember um, that they did in Australia. Mm-hmm. So it's just very sad. Yeah, really was. Uh, on December 7th, Raw, Mark Cuban was the special guest host. So that brings us into the show itself. Like I mentioned, this is TLC 2009, our dark match, our truth taking on CM Punk with Luke Gallows. More to come from that as we move into 2010. And that brings us to our opening match. That is Christian taking on Shelton Benjamin for the ECW title in a ladder match, Scott. How did this gimmick get added to this title showdown? All right. Well, on the 1124 ECW, Benjamin attacked Zack Ryder to become the number one, uh, defeated Zack Ryder uh, to become the number one contender. And Christian would come out of afterwards and said, the ECW title has been overlooked the last few shows and proposed he and Benjamin have a ladder match at the pay-per-view so they can steal the show. Interesting little shoot there. On the 12-1 ECW, uh, Christian and Benjamin had a backstage segment where <laughs> Benjamin was simulating their match on SmackDown vs. Raw 2010 on the Wii until Christian turned the game off and said everyone would have to wait until the pay-per-view to see how the match ends. And in the main event, Christian and Benjamin defeated Vladimir Kozlov and Zeke Jackson in a tag. And on the 12-8 ECW, Josh Matthews was in the ring with a ladder and the ECW title hanging above the ring to hype the match, but was interrupted by Kozlov and Jackson arguing until William Regal came out to keep the peace. Benjamin would come out and try to go Jackson and Kozlov to keep fighting until he was joined by Christian and Yoshitatsu. 
And in the main event, Christian Benjamin and Tatsu defeated Regal Jackson and Kozlov in a six-man tag as Christian would pull out a ladder after the match and climb up to retrieve the title. So a little shoot action at the beginning there. And uh, there we are. All right. The ECW titles above the ring. We already got Matt Stryker and Jerry the King Lawler bickering as part of the announced team tonight. Uh, we open up with this ladder match, again, fitting for both guys. Michael Cole gives their history in ladder matches. Christian starts hot, runs through Shelton with quick strikes and a nice drop kick. Stryker says the ECW titles never changed hands in Texas. Big shock there. This is uh, Christian's seventh ladder match and Shelton's fourth, not counting Money in the Banks. Shelton hammers back into things. We head right outside where Shelton throws Christian into the barrier. Christian recovers, gets a plunge off the middle rope to cut Shelton off. Christian gets sliced open. Match halts as the doctor comes out to towel up the blood and closes the wound. This is something that's very ECW that we all know, right? Closing up wounds. Uh, the crowd is getting restless. Stryker says this is due to Texas State Athletic Commission. And King says, no, it's a WWE rule. So they're already arguing again. We get going again. We restart Christian, throws Shelton into the crowd. Shelton recovers. It's a swanton off the ladder into a standing Christian on the floor. Shelton and Christian battle on the floor using ladders as weapons with stiff shots. Back inside, Shelton throws Christian hard into the ladder, but Christian shoves him off. He climbs, but Shelton tips him down and gets a nice spin heel kick. Shelton batters Christian with the ladder, but Christian comes back with a reverse DDT. Shelton bops around and rides the ladder down into a clothesline on Christian in a cool-looking spot. Shelton scales. Christian hustles up to block him, but Shelton fights him off and power slams him down off the ladder and a nasty bump. Shelton scampers up and grabs the belt, but Christian moves the ladder and he's left dangling. Christian tries to batter him with the ladder, but Christian instead sets it up and runs up and forces Shelton down. But now he can't unhook and Christian is left dangling. Shelton pulls him down and power bombs him into the ladder on the corner. They both scale and fight on the ladder. Shelton does a sunset flip off the ladder, but Christian lands on his feet and throws him down. Shelton tries a German on a ladder bridge, but Christian hangs on, knocks Shelton on the ladder, and flies off the top of the frog splash to break the ladder in half. And Christian slowly climbs in and wins the belt. Uh, very good opener. They seemed a little hesitant at first. Uh, it was stiff, and they used the, the ladder as well as weapons, not just for flying around. They did some creative moves. Um, two old school veterans just going at it to get the show off to a good start. Christian retained, but Shelton is great in these kind of spots. Good to see him still be used. The crowd was into it, Scott. Uh, I just wish the first half kind of matched that back-end energy overall. But as is, I went three and a half. Uh, yeah, I went three and a half, too. I enjoyed the match very much. Uh, you know, I've always loved Shelton. And Christian, you know, has been a solid ECW champion. But it is evident that the uh, it is evident that the brand is starting to run out of steam. Um you know, it's it's not even being totally taken seriously. The show, even on Tuesdays, is eh, it's all right. Um, but you know, if we're gonna get at least one really great match on the show, this is the perfect match. Uh, it's perfect two guys to have, two guys that are used to ladders and will go out there and try to steal the show on a show that really didn't have an identity much in terms of the card. So this is a good chance for uh, uh for for a a uh, show to be stolen. This would be it. Great match. I enjoyed it very much, Chef. And uh, but I think they're trying to fight to keep ECW breathing, but it is uh it's uh it's getting to the end at this point. Yeah, it really is. Um I, I'm glad you guys mentioned how the first part of the match just wasn't good. It felt like they were trying to force, like, oh, it's like when the announcers say they're going to have an instant classic. And then it's like, all right, well, this is what I'm expecting. Right. They were never really able to do that until like the last like five to seven minutes of the match, mm -hmm. um, which really did heat up. But uh, it's just like them. Like I know that blood rule, which 
which they implemented, but it really like slowed down what they were doing. But I will say when Christian did win at the end, his face was really busted up, which I think added to the carnage a little bit. Yes. Um, Christian was really good in this match. Like, um, like Sheldon tried to do the power bomb the ladder, but Christian hit the hurricane Rana, which was a spot towards the end that I really liked that led to the frog splash. But yeah, I went three and a quarter on this. I was just a little bit down because with the two people involved, I was like, this is going to be a banger of a match. Maybe one that like I had seen loved at the time and forgotten and forgot to the annals of history just because, you know, everything in the past 14 years, it's just been so much, but you know, it was basically a ho-hum match. And I guess I was just expecting more to be honest, even though I still went three and a quarter. Yeah. It was one of those ones is very, very, very good borderline. Great. But it just didn't deliver on what it could have been either. So yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's in the middle. It's just, it didn't under, under deliver, but it didn't deliver on the promise either. So, uh, all right, we get clips of a DX versus Jericho brawl from Raw last week, and that brings us right to our next match, which is for the Intercontinental title. It is John Morrison defending against Drew McIntyre. Chad, uh, Chad, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Scott, tell me about how this match came apart. <laughs> well, it all started now. Uh, <laughs> um, on uh, the, uh, oh, I gotta go back here. All right. On the 1127 SmackDown, GM Teddy Long offered Morrison a match against either Sheamus, The Miz, or McIntyre, only for Vicky Guerrero to give Eric Escobar a title. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Give Eric Escobar a title shot, though Long said it would be Escobar's only shot. Morrison would win, and we thank God never see him again. Well, I don't know if we never saw him again, but on the 12 4 SmackDown, McIntyre cut a promo on Morrison, who interrupted, which led to a non title match with McIntyre winning. On the 12-11 SmackDown, it was announced McIntyre would challenge Morrison on the pay-per-view as he cut a promo about not being featured in the most recent WWE magazine, which focused on future champions. Morrison would come out dressed like William Wallace from Braveheart and mocked McIntyre, which led to a brawl with McIntyre escaping into the crowd. And, of course, later in his career, Drew would uh, dress like uh, William Wallace from Braveheart. But anyway, there we go. All right, well, Drew saunters out. A big title shot lined up for him. We get the usual talk. I was the hand picked. Good and a good match here to showcase the next gen. These young stars, mid card strap. We ease into things with some feeling out. Cole's hyping up the slammies tomorrow night on Raw. Morrison ramps up and sticks and moves with some kicks, but outside McIntyre throws Morrison hard up and into the post. He takes over. Morrison in the ring with hard strikes, pushes through any comebacks, and then goes to wear him down. Uh, focuses on the neck. Morrison comes back with a hard DDT to counter a tilt to whirl. Morrison slugs back into things, grabs a near fall, but Drew hangs on. Drew forges back as a nasty inverted Alabama slam for two. We go to the floor and Morrison hits a springboard kick. Morrison loads Drew back inside, dodges a charge, and Drew slams him into the post. Morrison is a grazing starship pain, but the ref sees that Drew's foot is under the bottom rope and the crowd boos. Drew tries to leverage Morrison to the buckle, but Morrison's belt breaks and the spot gets fucked up. Morrison uh, rips the belt off and Drew jams Morrison hard in the eye and then hits the Scott drop to win the Intercontinental title. Uh, Fun match, even with the botched finish. I thought they bounced back from it well. Like Young guys like this sometimes would struggle a bit trying to make up for that. A really big win for Drew, and this getting the belt off of Morrison too allows him to elevate up. Drew really needs to cash in and make a statement given all the hype around him. So it was a good choice. It was hard fought. I liked the flow and the innovative focus works. Jeff, I went three stars on this match, which uh, almost was the opposite of the opener where it uh, over-delivered a bit. Yeah, I was legitimately shocked um, how much I enjoyed this match. I will say I'm used to seeing Drew McIntyre as what he looks like now. And he looks like a complete baby. Like he looks like he's unable to grow facial hair when he comes out. Um, Still has some baby fat. It was just a, a 
little adorable thing. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. It had um, it felt like they were going out there to prove something, which I didn't really feel in the ECW match as you talked to. Um, Drew then hit this pretty cool like slingshot wheelbarrow move. I called it an inverted Alabama jam. He needs to bring that back because it's awesome, um, which I think he already does. Sorry, I'm thinking, but yeah, um, I really enjoyed like. And it looked like to me that Drew actually broke Morrison's belt on purpose. And that's why he did the, like the Reflin went and looked at the, uh, Oh, maybe. That's it. I mean, I hope belt. it was it at first. I thought it was definitely, um, I definitely thought he screwed up, but that's even better if it, if it wasn't. Cause I, I mean, I, I did think it was impressive that they bounced back so quickly as well. So yeah, mm. he like grabbed like his front and like ripped it off and threw it away. And the ref was like doing, so he did the eye, eye poke. And then I, I love, I love his DDT. So that was very nice of Drew hitting that. Yeah. I went three, I went three stars as well. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at the, uh, at the chemistry they had. I gave it three stars as well. Uh, you can obviously tell with, you can obviously tell with, uh, with Drew winning that WWE was, um, you know, the company was starting to do a little experimenting and starting to elevate and move guys, uh, you know, move guys up. And, and we would see that in a big way in a few minutes, but I was very happy that Drew won. It was a change of pace, you know, the back end of 2009, we feel like it's been a little disjointed, but you know what, if they're going to experiment, this is probably the kind of thing to do it. Uh, good win for Drew fun match. Uh, you know, Drew just, I mean, he obviously put on mass in the next, mm-hmm. uh, what, 13 years, yeah. uh, and big time. And, uh, you know, Morrison was just a good hand at that moment. Uh, I enjoyed it. Good match. And I'm glad Drew won. I thought it was a smart move. Um, and, uh, a harbinger of things to come for the way the company was thinking. All right. Backstage, Vince, uh, congratulates Drew. He hand waves Josh Matthews asking for an interview and hands him off to Drew instead. Seamus comes in and talks some shit to Drew as well. So it's kind of some uh, machinations backstage. And the fallout brings us to our next match. And that is Mickey James taking on Michelle McCool for the women's championship. Scott, how do we get to this title encounter? Well, uh, let's see. On the 1127 SmackDown, uh, James did an interview where she brought up McCool and Layla calling her Piggy James last week. And she said, that she, yeah, it's terrible. That she worked hard to get where she is and she wasn't going anywhere. On the 12 4 SmackDown, James defeated Beth Phoenix and Natalia in a triple threat to become number one contender, while McCool and Layla wearing Piggy James shirts did commentary. And after the match, McCool and Layla attacked James until Maria made the save. And on the 12 11 SmackDown, the match, this match was announced as James and Maria defeated McCool and Layla in a tag. This, this Piggy James stuff is just crazy. Oh, uh, brutal. Some of my least favorite stuff in history. Like, yeah, and I love Lay Cool. Like, they're great, but this was, and the way they even go about it is fine. Like, the mean girl stuff, they're good at it. But, but the, I like just the approach and the fat shaming stuff. And uh, what makes it worse isn't just like that they're doing it, it's that it's not like, it's not like outright shouted down as bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like it's yeah. the commentary, the way you go about it and presented, like if it's really presented as these mean girls bullying Mickey just to break her psychologically, but they don't really present it that way. So everyone just remembers them calling her piggy James. Right. Um, so overall, it's just frustrating because the way they, they present it holistically outside of Lake cool. Um, Mickey charges out, fired up. She waits for Michelle 
who comes out with Layla. They have Piggy James shirts on. We get the video of the awful stuff you mentioned with the Piggy stuff. Uh, King defends Mickey's body, which, again, even when he does it, he's not, like, I don't know. He's not defending it the right way. Uh, we get a lockup. We get some grappling. Striker knows that Timbaland will be the guest host for the final Raw of 2009. They spill outside. While tied up, they glare and bow up. And before we head back in, staring at each other, pretty intense stuff, I thought at least. Mickey keeps Michelle off balance, trips her up, and grabs her near falls. She spikes Mickey down. Looks a bit banged up as Ting shits on Florida State. Michelle slows things down with a rear chin lock as Stryker talks about Jersey Shore, which had just debuted, actually, uh, not too long before this. It might have actually been like the week before this. I believe it was December 09 it just uh, debuted. Um, and the Piggy James shirt. So, again, a timely reference for once. Mickey tries to get back into it, but Michelle counters a backbreaker for two. Michelle stays calm, slings Mickey hard to the barricade, leaves her on the floor. Mickey heats up with a flurry, chases off Layla. Mickey runs through the champ in the ring, but Layla trips her up. That backfires as Michelle kicks Layla down, but survives a roll-up. Michelle kicks Mickey down hard and retains her title. Uh, a little awkward thanks to Michelle and Layla being green, but the character stuff is helping. Like The mean girl dis dismissive offense Michelle is good. Mickey's a good, good fire and energy. The angle sucks, but they worked hard. The in-ring is still continuing to develop, and we'll see if we're going to get a payoff to all this bullshit with Mickey eventually, Scott. But uh, I went two and three quarters of the match. They're kind of persevering through it. And again, I think I think the Mean Girls stuff could be okay if it was just presented a little bit differently overall. Uh, I agree. Uh, I gave it two and a half. Uh, I mean, the match is fine because Mickey James is actually very good, and she's not fat. So, I mean, I, I just I, it was just – it was dumb. It was really dumb. And being the Mean Girls was fine because that's a fine heel thing to do, but it just wasn't. It just wasn't handled tactfully. Um, the match is fine. Uh, Michelle's a good champion. She's a good worker, um, but they definitely could have done a better job of kind of pushing this. And and now I can see why Mickey didn't. Mickey didn't stick around. Uh, other than that, uh, Schiff. I mean, it was a solid match, um, but they obviously didn't approach the Mean Girls gimmick as well as they could have you with a shift think you're shift. did not unmute sorry the piggy <laughs> james <laughs> thing yeah sorry the piggy james thing is one of those things where you're embarrassed to be a wrestling fan mm. um type type deal and i just couldn't get over the stink of that uh, i only went two on this it just seemed like i know uh you guys said how mickey carried it Mickey did carry it, but it was like um, Michelle was still green. There was a spot where it seemed forever for Michelle to get Mickey in position, like when she was trying to work over her back. Mm. And I don't know, like just it just left such a sour taste in my mouth. And like you said, the announcers did not do it. When you have creepy old perv Law Jerry, uh, Jerry the King Lawler as like the voice of reason, it's like I guess a broken clock is right twice a day. But yeah, I can only go two stars on this. Um, I, I remember not liking this lay cool um, tech pairing. I thought it was a knockoff version of the beautiful people, which they were around the same time in uh, TNA impact. And I thought they did it a whole lot better. So yeah, I, I just went to on this because it was one of the times when WWE was doing something worse than impact, which was few and far between in this era. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely did feel like a rip off of that. Um, I, I liked it. I remember like at the time, I, I think they're really good at the gimmick. I think as they gain more confidence, it, it gets better. Um, and Mickey's sympathetic. Like again, it, it should work. I just, it, it, you're, to your point, like creepy King, they don't defend it the right way because it's at the end of the day, it's Vince with the fat shaming. Right. So like 
he's chuckling and har-haring through it, but there's better ways to go about it. Uh, we get a look at downtown San Antonio. We get a John Cena Sheamus video package, including, of course, Vince and Jesse calling that battle royal on the Raw we talked about earlier. And that brings us to a very unlikely world title match, Scott. WWE title line in a tables match between John Cena and Sheamus. How did we get to this curious outing? Uh, right? Well, on the aforementioned 1123 Raw, guest host Jesse Ventura declared there was a conspiracy in that the same people kept getting title shots. It's not wrong. Uh, so he announced a series of matches featuring superstars who never won the world title with the winners competing in a battle royal to determine the number one tender. In the qualifying matches, Kofi Kingston beat Dolph Ziggler, Sheamus beat Finley, MVP Mark Henry and R-Truth beat Jack Swagger, Chris Masters, and Chavo Guerrero. Randy Orton, who took Primo's spot after attacking and beat Evan Bourne with Ventura, allowing Orton to be in the battle royal, and Legacy defeated Crime Time. In the main event, Sheamus would win the battle royal to become number one contender, and after the match, Ventura hosted the contract signing as Sheamus and Cena went back and forth, with Sheamus laying Cena out as Ventura announced the match would be a tables match at the show. On the 11.30 Raw, Cena cut a promo on Sheamus until Carlito interrupted him, and they went back and forth until Cena knocked Carlito down, and Sheamus would come out on the stage as Cena challenged him only for Sheamus to head to the back. Later that night, Sheamus cut a promo on Cena, until Santino Morella interrupted him and Sheamus would attack Morella before putting him through a table. And on the 12-7 Raw, Cena defeated Carlito in a non-title match while Sheamus watched and security kept him at bay. And at the end of the night, guest host Mark Cuban hosted a face-to-face -face between Cena and Sheamus, which led to a brawl with Sheamus laying Cena out. And Sheamus would also attack Cuban and put him through a table. Interesting. There we go. Yeah, Sheamus had a weird come up. Like, he was great killing people on ECW, but he still presented as, like, a threat. But, but like, if I had to compare it to somebody like Reyes Ramon at Rumble 93, right? Like, this guy could win the title. He's threatening, but he hasn't really been positioned as, like, the guy yet, right? So, coming into this, it feels like a contender of the month type situation. For me, anyway. Uh, but it is a big come up. He's been pushed well. He's been a wrecking ball at times. He saunters out. We check out the article on him from Irish Voice magazine. We get the usual split reaction. Cena hums to the ring with his title. Cena starts hot, runs through Sheamus with a flurry, swarming him with an assault. Sheamus cuts him down with a clothesline, gets to work, but Cena comes right back on the floor, smashes him into a table. They end back and forth and use the stairs and some heavy punches. Cena sets up a table on the floor. He goes up top as Sheamus rolls away. We reset with a hard Sheamus attack to the back. Cena rallies, tries an AA through the table, but Sheamus fights him off. Slowly moves back to his attack on the floor. The welts are shining on his pale skin. They trade some teases on the floor near the table. They battle up the ramp. Cena folds the table and tries to slam it on Sheamus, but he dodges. Back inside, we slowly move through some offense until Sheamus pegs Cena with the Irish curse. Sheamus puts a table in the corner, but Cena reverses and tries the SDF, but Sheamus kicks free. Cena cuts through him, but Sheamus pops up and throws a table to the floor. Cena hits the AA on him just as the table's moved. The new table gets set up, and Cena loads Sheamus on his shoulders for a super AA, but Sheamus fights through it. Cena tries for a superplex, but Sheamus shoves Cena off the table. Uh, off, uh, I should say, through the table, where it just kind of lands on his elbow and gets the upset win and the belt. Cena kind of tries for the former champion, gave it his all ovation, but he just kind of looks silly as he slowly sulks off uh, with a piece of the table to allow Cena sucks chance. And that's it. We have a shocking upset. Uh, 
it was fine overall, S- slow with some power stuff, no big spots that really resonated. The crowd was shaky because Sheamus isn't there yet for them. And of course, this was not a pro Cena crowd at all. Uh, it was a bit start stop and never got into a smooth flow. And a shocking finish. Again, it felt like a challenger of the month, kind of hidden in the card. Um, but it felt to me like you're already kind of burying this rain out of the gate. Like it felt very lucky. Like Sheamus has kind of knocked him off the top. Cena like barely, like it wasn't even a good bump. He just like kind of falls on his elbow through the table. Um, it felt like Cena cost himself the title. So we'll see if this is a star maker for Sheamus or just a forgotten winter run uh, shift. I went two and a half stars, but to me, like we're not setting this run up for success. He doesn't seem like a badass. He seems like a dude that got lucky and kind of fell into this title. Yeah, I'm really interested to see where they go with this title reign because he, like, like you said, like the they were planning it up. Like everyone was shocked. Um, I actually went three on this. I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. Maybe it's because, like you, like you said, you could see the welts as the match was going on. Mm-hmm. And I liked how Sheamus um, was like using the table as like he tried the AA, but he had knocked it out of the way beforehand, so he couldn't go through it. So he was yep. like, it was like he was playing defense with the table, which I thought was very cool. Um. And Seamus, like, they, they really gave the rocket. Like, that was a I, – I was thinking when I was watching, I was like, who have they done this bit with before? And that was a good uh, comparison with Razor Ramon because, you know, it seems like it's just a throwaway, like, oh, you know, December we don't do much in WWF. We, we just get ready for January in the Rumble. And now it's like, oh, snap, we actually have a new champion. Let's see where we go with the Rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, But you have to – you have to set it up so you're not like Chris Benoit when he was the champion and he's feuding with Kane the next month. You need to make sure he actually has challengers, you know. But the problem is there's not a lot of baby faces on the raw side. On the raw side, and actually something they could have done, which goes into the next match, um, they could have had Kofi be a challenger. But right. we'll get to that. But you know that just would have been the smart thing. But hey, you know I'm not booking. But I, I went three stars. I really enjoyed this match. It put Sheamus on the map. Um, we'll see if he can stay there. Well, and kudos, too, to Cena for I mean, laying down for the new guy, putting him over for the belt, right? Like, it's a change. It's a big change. I just wish they made Sheamus look a little stronger in the win, Scott. Yeah, I hate accident wins sometimes. It's, it's it, you're, you're not doing anybody any favors. I gave a two and a half as well. Uh, I just, um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm okay with Sheamus. I mean, obviously, he's a, a hunter guy, so he'll he'll uh he'll get a little extra but and seen as a guy if you just tell him to do something he'll do it um so i don't think he had a problem doing it but i wish that was booked a little strong mm. um i don't see why just getting a bro kick and winning is such a big deal like i don't get it you know why did it have to be so oopsie whoopsie at the end i mean i it didn't do anybody any favors i think cena would have been fine just eating a bro kick and moving on i don't i don't know what the problem is so, um, having said that, the match is fine, and I definitely have no problem with, with Sheamus winning. I mean, we already had two kind of pseudo eps because I don't think anybody really expected Drew McIntyre to win earlier. So, this is a direction that WWE is going at the moment with kind of getting fresh, fresh blood, you know, at the mid to top of the card. Uh, so, I'm fine with that, but uh, this crowd was a little ornery. Um, but I think the ending did did nobody any favors. I think it made Sheamus look weak and lucky uh that's the last thing you if you're trying to elevate a young guy the last thing you want to make them look is lucky 
Um, they should have just Cena should just eat a bro kick. I don't know what the fucking problem was. I don't Cena's not that kind of guy. At least I never thought that. So the ending ruined it for me. But yeah. the match itself was fine, and I and, and I'm happy that Sheamus won. I think he deserved it. Uh, you know, he was a guy that worked hard, worked hard in the NXT brand or Florida or whatever. I guess it was FCW still at that time. But the ending did nobody any favors. He should have just ate a bro kick and moved on. I don't I don't know why we needed to have like an oopsie whoopsie at the end. Right. Did nothing. Did nothing. So. All right. Matt Stryker, Colin King reset. They thank Switchfoot for our theme song of the night. So we get our video package for the revisiting of uh, one of our favorite views of 2007. Puts a back at it again as Batista is challenging <laughs> the Undertaker for the world title. How did we get to this, Scott? Uh, Jesse, you should have went on SmackDown so you could say, we're tired of everybody getting the same title shots. <laughs> it's easy getting the 50, 50th title shot in four years. Yeah. Uh, on the eleven twenty seven SmackDown, uh, Jesse would come out and say, Batista, we've tied. No, he didn't. Uh, Batista would defeat Kane by countout to become number one contender. As it was announced, he would face Taker at the pay-per-view. And later that night, Batista attacked Taker during his match with Chris Jericho and assaulted him with a chair. On the 12-4 SmackDown, Taker would call Batista out only for Batista to click uh, to attack him from behind. And he would again assault him with a chair before holding the belt up. As it was announced, the match would be a chairs match. On the 12-11 SmackDown, Batista cut a promo saying he never cared about the fans and all he cared about was making money and winning titles as he demanded a spotlight put on him. And he said he saw fear in Taker's eyes and said winning the title was a formality. Later that night, he would defeat Rey Mysterio in a street fight and it kept attacking him until Taker made the save. And the two men brawled with Taker, sending Batista to the back. All right. All-time feud reignited. This time, though, Batista is a red-hot heel riddled with the motivation to destroy. So this is, you know, even though we've seen it, it's different positioning than we saw back in that when they were just the two gods battling. Uh, Batista stalks out amazing presence. Taker's good, usual dramatic entrance. Big pop. Batista gets a chair, goes right at Taker, but he blocks, gets some heavy punches and kicks. They tussle back and forth. They spill outside. A striker explains that Batista's bones are more dense because he eats a lot of protein. Taker tosses some chairs in the ring. Batista dodges the boot, smashes Taker in the back with a chair. Taker comes roaring back with a chair shot and punches and works the arm. Batista hammers away. Usual back and forth of strikes with these guys. Batista gets a superplex for two before we devolve into another slugfest before a Batista spine buster for two. Taker recovers. He gets old school, but Batista counters snake eyes with a spear. Batista hits a spine buster on a chair, but walks into a hell's gate. Batista gets to the ropes. Both guys are hurting as Batista misses a charge and bangs into a chair. Taker gets a flurry. It's a choke slam for two. Batista hits a low blow, grabs a chair, and crushes Taker in the head and wins the world title. However, Teddy Long heads out and says there is no need to celebrate that a uses of chairs is legal in the match, but the blatant foul is not. He will not allow the title to change after the low act and restarts the match. Batista comes charging in with a chair. Taker kicks it back at him, hits it with a chair and the tombstone for the win to retain. Uh, I think these guys need a break for sure. They've been great chemistry, but it's diminishing returns every time. Batista is such a good bully as a heel, but this just fell into the usual bomb fest. And it didn't have the same battle of the God zip that it did in 07. Uh, it was slower. The fans were in and out of it. Batista in this role is better suited to beat the shit out of small guys than have these kind of wars. Uh, the end picked up a little bit to carry it home, but it's definitely behind their best work. I thought the first finish seemed to pay off the step, but the dusty finish was stupid. It made no sense. Like, what's Teddy Long doing? Uh, I thought he didn't like Undertaker, and I was helping Undertaker. Like, it's it's dumb. Um, these kind of things are never governed by the GM. So, again, it made no sense. 
<laughs> another odd finish. Batista gets hosed, which will further the anger. Uh, I think a title change could have been good, though, Scott. That all said, I went three stars on the match. I gave it three and a quarter. Um, yeah, I, I love heel Batista. He's such a douchebag. Um, but the match wasn't wrestled like that. Uh, it was wrestled like it was in 2000. Like you said, it was wrestled like it was in 2007 when they were both faces or whatever. It was it. I don't think this was a smart move to probably book this match. Maybe have, I don't know, make Ray like a number one, maybe like put Ray in it somehow. Uh, we're make getting it like there, a triple threat. But yeah. yeah. But I mean, make it like a triple threat. Right. And uh, some, something where, where Batista still looks like a, like a, 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 a bullying, you know, scumbag heel. And instead he's wrestling Taker as he would, you know, any right. other time. Or just just, him snap and then beat the shot Taker with a chair and get DQ'd. Or, you know, like if you really want to keep him as a badass, maybe like Ray comes out and he gets mad seeing him and just kind of loses his mind or something. Right. Right. Or he hits the ref too, or even he hits Teddy long, whatever, uh, make it look better than, than it ended up being, uh, it, it didn't really do Batista any favors in that aspect. Taker just wins because they got to keep the belt on him because they've got something planned. Uh, but it just, um, it didn't have the same zip as the 2007s, yet it was booked like the 2007s. So I agree with you about the diminishing returns. We're getting way, th- this is the problem in Shift. We've been talking about it the whole show and, and JR and I have talked about it the last two or three episodes. Now we're starting to see uh, the roster weaknesses of having to see the same like six guys over and over again. We just saw Orton and Cena, mm-hmm. what feels like for a year. And now, now we're bringing back a feud from 2007. And I think they even wrestled once in 2008 too. So it's just, you could clearly tell the roster is in need of either taking risks or finding new main eventers. I don't know, or sign somebody. I don't know, but it, it things, this is the first pay-per-view where the title matches just seemed well, except for Sheamus, obviously but where the roster is definitely showing strengths of being stale and weaknesses of being stale. If that makes any sense, they're elevating new guys, but at the same time uh, they're showing their vulnerability on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. For you guys who have seen this, like, you know, a month in month out with this, with me coming in as a, as a guest spot, I was like, Oh, this is a damn good match. But I understand from you guys' perspective mm-hmm. where you're like, Man, this is like the fifteenth time I've had to watch one of these matches, and for me, is like you know, I, I usually just listen to you guys, but having to watch it this time, I was like, this feels nice and fresh. But I can see how you guys' perspective is with that because it's like you know, Judgment Day versus Sami Zayn or something, you know, right, right. like current current day. But um, I actually had three and a half for this until Teddy Long came out, and I was mm-hmm. like, you got to be shitting me. And I, I knocked it down to just three after that. Like it pissed me off so much because I think heel Batista is amazing. Um, I was really hoping to be the spotlight Batista, but I think that's coming for you guys. But it, like, like JT, you said, like Ray should have cost him the match. It's a chairs match. Have Batista about to end it and Ray like throw a chair at his head or something. And then take her, you know, choke slams him and it's over because I will say when Taker did choke slam, Batista in the match right before the low blow. I thought it was over. I bid on that finish. So it, it you know, the storytelling is right there. And like the, a lot of the video was him beating the hell out of Ray. You know, you're supposed to be my friend. And yeah. it, they could have just went that way. And Teddy Long, who two months ago was doing the Hell's Gate stuff with CM Punk, and you know, Taker had to kidnap him, and now they're best friends. And it, it just makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, in he should have just been. 
in a position to bully someone. I don't know how they could have went about it. Scott's one may they put Ray in and make it a three like whatever. We've already kind of done that. I guess you could have done a rematch, but they probably there should have been some way to go about this. Mm-hmm. Um where you're not just back to Batista wrestling like he did against Taker two years ago instead of in his new persona. So uh all right, we get a hype package for our next match, and that is Kofi Kingston taking on Randy Orton. DiBiase and Rhodes are backstage and try to rattle Kofi, but he shakes it off. Kofi goes right to Orton's locker room and calls him a coward. Says he doesn't deserve a title shot and walks away. We then get footage of some mariachis playing on the Riverwalk uh, shift. That was a little close to home for us. Kind of yes, it was. Experience. I was drinking margaritas on that Riverwalk. Yeah, with a mariachi playing. Yes, um, it was. So there you go. All right, Scott, uh, what brought us to this very interesting pay-per-view match with Kofi and Randy? All right, well... On the on the uh, eleven twenty three Raw, the Jesse Ventura Raw, uh, Kingston would eliminate Orton in the Battle Royal to keep him from becoming number one contender. Though he would end up losing to Sheamus. On the eleven thirty Raw, Kingston was set to face Orton in a match only for Legacy to attack him before the match, and Orton would end up defeating Kingston in their match. On the twelve seven Raw, Legacy confronted guest host Mark Cuban as Orton asked to be given a future title shot, and Cuban refused. And they reminded Cuban what Orton did to him at the O three Survivor Series. As Cuban said, Orton only defeated Kingston last week because the WWE refs were worse than the NBA refs. (laughs) He would book a rematch between the two with himself as the ref, and Kingston would defeat Orton thanks to a fast count from Cuban, who said he'd been waiting six years to get revenge on Orton, and he announced the two would have their rubber match at the pay-per-view. I totally forgot about that, too, actually. (laughs) Well, here we go. Big-time feud for Kofi. He's been all over Orton's ass in Survivor Series, driving Legacy mad. Orton saunters out. Kofi gets a decent pop. Uh, we'll see if he can elevate up here. We slowly ease in with some feeling out as we get a good talk about Orton. We'll figure out Kofi's unique style. Orton gets a scoop power slam for two to get us going. Clamps into a chin lock. Kofi roars back with punches. Gets a roll up for two. Orton rolls outside on the boom drop. Kofi follows and tries to springboard off the top, but Orton meets him with a drop kick. Back inside, Orton pounds the ribs meticulously, but Kofi catches him with an SOS. Kofi knocks Orton to the floor, meets him with a tope. Back inside, Kofi gets a high cross body for two. Kofi follows back with a flying clothesline for two, but Orton snaps off a backbreaker. Kofi bounces back, nails the trouble in paradise, but Orton gets the ropes. They end up outside as they come back in. Orton spikes Kofi with a hanging DDT. Kofi blocks the punt, but he takes the a blow on his arm. He's in serious pain. Orton crushes him with an armbreaker DDT and then sits and waits, dodges the trouble in paradise, and hits the RKO for the win. Uh, this is pretty good, but it's just not what we needed out of Kofi to really make this hit. The crowd was kind of out on the match. It was split in general. Uh, when he was rolling on offense, he really made it count. But a lot of the match was slow, and Orton didn't seem super focused or into it. And we know, you know, it would come out later, right, that he wasn't a fan. He thought Kofi stiffed him, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think he was in the giving mood overall in this. Uh, I liked the final stretch. It was some hard-hitting stuff. Uh, and Kofi deserves a push. But he didn't need to win on this night necessarily. Um, if the, if the showing was a little bit better than what we got. So Schiff, I went three and a quarter. I was kind of disappointed in, in the overall presentation and then the match itself as well, which I guess has kind of been a theme tonight. Yeah. I remember being so excited for Kofi, like he, to start feuding, you know, with, um, with Orton and, you know, hopefully hit that, that main event level. Like they had that nice brought at Madison square garden, which they actually showed in, um, they did Jay Z's Empire State of Mind, and like that was one of the big highlights when mm-hmm. they did, did that bit music video. I uh, remember that. Um, it just seemed like like Orton at this time. You know, I remember him having like, oh, you can tell when he wants to work and he doesn't want to, and I didn't really believe that. So I 
you know, I wasn't, I was a wrestling fan, but not as big as I am now, obviously. And you really saw it in this match because there was times when you're like, oh, he wants to go, he wants to go. And then it's like, right. nah, I'm just going to sandbag you. Um, and you could see it. It was obvious in this match that he wasn't all invested. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then, like, you know, Kofi went for a dive on the outside and Orton met him with a drop kick. And I, I was like, damn, Orton, that was yeah, sick. That was nice and then it was like, oh, we're just doing, you know, basic, basic stuff right here. But, you know, I, I love the punt. Um, I know, like, he gets away from using that soon, but I went three and a quarter on this. I, I really did enjoy this match, but, you know, uh, just another miss. It's just starting to feel like, you know, outside the Sheamus thing, it sort of feels like fully loaded 2000, where we thought, like, Chris Jericho, I mean, if Chris Jericho, Benoit, and Angle were going to make the leap, and they all lost. And this is exactly what it felt like to me. Uh, I gave this a three. Um, I agree. Uh, Orton looked like he was kind of going through the motions and, you know, you have, you have, uh, legacy, uh, you know, on the sitting outside. I, I don't, this is a tough, this is where the, the, the veterans and experience needs to come through because as we've mentioned, the roster is in a weird place right now. And a guy like Orton needs to all right, I guess I'm not in title shots anymore. That doesn't mean you get to tank everything until you get your next one. And he should have, he should have, uh, um, really went in, went in all, all in on this match and done, you know, and gave it his all instead of kind of maybe 75% giving it his all, which is what it felt like. And look, Kofi, you know, he's young, been with the company, what, a couple of years. It's, you know, help him out a little bit. And I felt like Orton was like, nah, uh, I'm good. And I was expecting more. It's disappointing because I thought Orton has had a great 2009. Uh, his heel run through 08 when he had the belt was great. And, mm -hmm. you know, then he got his guy, you know, then he had Cody and, and DiBiase. And it's really been a lot of fun, but this was not very flattering for him. Uh, more should have been expected. And instead he kind of went through the motions because he was pissed off that he didn't want to have to wrestle this guy. So right. it's just seemed very childish and you could have gotten more out of this. And, and unfortunately we need some fresh stuff to keep things fresh because the roster right now is not in a very good place as we, as we can see. And uh, I, I was expecting more out of Orton. I was disappointed. All right. Well, we'll see where it goes. Uh, we then get backstage where Batista threatens to beat the shit out of Teddy Long. He's in tears. Like, what a clown he's become. He's, like, crying. He's powerless. He's whipped. Like, he's just a terrible character by this point. Yeah, Teddy. he really is. He needs I to agree. just go. Like, he's just been a cucked bitch through most of the last year. Um, Pathetic. Uh, we then get footage of the Alamo, and then we head to our main events with the tag team titles on the line with the Generation X, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H taking on Jericho, in a tables, ladders, and chairs match, Scott. How did this main event come about? Well, on the 1123 Raw, the Raw we keep talking about, the uh, old school with Jesse, uh, DX discussed the match the previous night. Uh, of course, it was a tri the triple threat from Survivor Series with, uh, with Cena. Until they were served with a notice by a little person who said Hornswoggle was suing them. And later that night, they would defeat the Hart Dynasty as Jericho came out on the stage and said DX and Jericho would face off at the pay-per-view for the titles with DX making it a TLC match. On the 1127 SmackDown, 
Jericho cut a promo in the match at the pay-per-view while also demanding to be in the number one contenders match later that night, though GM Teddy Long would put him in a non-title match against The Undertaker and Taker would defeat Jericho by DQ and Batista got involved. On the 1130 Raw, Jericho cut a promo claiming to be the best tag team of all time while DX have never won the tag titles and they continue to tout their accomplishments till DX, DX interrupted and vowed to make history by winning the tag titles in their first TLC match. They also said if they won, Jericho would no longer be able to appear on Raw as Triple H challenged them to a match and show would add a stipulation that the loser would have to face the winning team in a handicap match. Later that night, DX were confronted by Hornswoggle, who through the use of subtitles said he was going to take further legal action against them. And in the main event, Triple H defeated Jericho and taunted him saying that the match next week could be Jericho's last on Raw. In the 12-4 SmackDown, Jericho cut a promo on the match at the pay-per-view, and in the main event, they would defeat Crime Time in a non-title match. In the 12-7 Raw, DX did a backstage segment shilling merchandise before being interrupted again by Hornswoggle. And in the main event, Jericho cut a promo on all his accomplishments as he said he was bigger than both Raw and SmackDown as he vowed to stay on Raw for as long as he wanted. DX and Jericho would go to a no contest in a handicap match when Show got involved and Jericho would take out DX with the chairs before posing on a ladder with the titles. That's a lot. Yeah, Jericho would really be in the MVP right now, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. And it, and it was a lot. And this match is kind of a lot as well. When you, when you look at it on paper, a lot going on. Tag titles main eventing to end the year. But, of course, it's super teams in this setting. Uh, King talks about DX is number one. The tag titles, Jericho comes out. Kind of no no usual DX shtick, just a big entrance. But they don't get the whole uh, rundown to start the start the match. All four kind of pair off and battle. Triple H and Show throwing down outside. Show falls over the railing on a charge. He recovers and pelts Hunter with punches and headbutts around ringside. Down the aisle, Sean and Jericho reignite the rivalry. Jericho tries to suplex Sean through a table on the floor. He blocks, so we head back inside where they run through some counters. Jericho counters the top rope elbow with his knees, grabs a ladder as Hunter and Show are fighting on the ramp. Jericho goes to help Show. The champs take out Hunter, but Sean comes back with a chair and batters them both. Back inside, DX double up on Jericho, battering over the ladder and some stiff shots. The crowd finally wakes up as DX poses. Show recovers and makes a save. He slugs away at both guys as Jericho gets up to work the ladder. Uh, the champs slowly pick DX apart with some double teams, hanging Hunter upside down, shooting Sean into him in a cool spot. Hunter tries to battle back and counters a choke slam to a DDT. Sean gets a big elbow. We get into a quick car wreck segment where everyone gets taken out, but shows up first. He climbs the ladder. Hunter cracks him with a chair. Show just shrugs it off. He steps down and punches the chair through Hunter. Show climbs again. DX yanks him down. Hit a double team pedigree to knock him to the floor. Sean climbs the ladder, but Sean, uh, but Jericho knocks him off and uh, over the top at the show on the floor. Jericho scampers up the ladder. He has his hands on the belt, but Hunter stops him and power bombs him. Show comes in and knocks Hunter out. Chucks the now broken ladder to the floor. He works over Hunter and Sean as Jericho gets a new ladder. They trap DX in the ladder, mash him with a chair, and Show rips the ladder in half. Show wipes DX on the floor. Jericho tries to climb the half ladder, which is not not a prudent spot. Jericho goes up top and stands on Show's shoulders. They walk to the belts, but he can't grab them. DX shows up and Sean super kicks Show, and Jericho flies to the floor through the table in a sick bump. DX knocks Show to the floor. They get the half ladder. Hunter holds it. Sean climbs it, takes the belts, and DX are a new unified tag team champions. I thought, like most else on this night, it was a little sluggish. A little slow. Uh, the crowd was kind of checked out in and out of it. Uh, there was some creative stuff, but it was just a brawl with little use of the weapons. The crowd was there for DX, but not a lot to engage with throughout. 
I did like the finish. Uh, the Jericho bump was nasty. I like Hunter holding the half ladder. That was unique. Um, but the whole thing I found sleep, sleepy. Uh, the show itself was a snoozer, I thought, Scott, overall. Um, it wasn't bad. It was just kind of mid at best. And this main event to me summed it up. So I went three stars. And I felt like this is a show that when you looked at the card on paper, it had a lot of potential. Um, but nothing really elevated past a certain point. Um, so I went three stars in the match. But, again, I, I thought disappointing given the talent involved. Yeah, uh, I gave it three and a quarter. Um, I feel like this was kind of a cookie cutter between four guys. Um, it was fine. I think the crowd was done. I think they just wanted to go home, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think I usually don't say this a lot about DX or even anything involving Sean or triple H, but I feel like in the back, they looked at it and said, wow, this would be an awesome main event. I think in their own minds, they thought that they could steal the show. But then when they actually executed it, they really couldn't, you know, it just, it was okay. DX as a entity is done. <laughs> it's fucking done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, stop it. Just fucking stop. <laughs> well, but I will say this run to me has been much better than 06. Well, I think 06 was because um, they realized in 06, they realized that Sean wasn't going to say the same things he used to say in 97. Whereas, right. and, and Triple H couldn't adapt to it. Whereas here, it's like, all right, we're two old guys who still have glow sticks and, and shirts. Uh, and that's fine. Um, but it's evident that th- there's just there was just no energy left. The building mm-hmm. was just, the building was just cooked. I don't know if it was none of the matches lived up to their potential. I don't know if the Sheamus thing didn't come off right and the Batista thing didn't come off right and the Orton thing didn't come off. Like these last four matches, just based on the names, had the had the 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 promise to be like all four and a half star bangers, and instead they were kind of like three star eh, sort of bangers, but not really. But there was a gear that they all, I think, shift. They all all four matches, definitely this one too, felt like there was a gear they thought they could get to, and never did, and couldn't get there. They just didn't have the the juice in their legs to get to that gear to make it four and a half stars. As it was, yeah. three and a quarter is not bad, but but you but you felt that they thought in their minds they could get there easily and just didn't. Yeah, yeah. I even have a note here that um, this match is plotting as hell. Like mm-hmm. when they were all battling up on the entrance ramp, and like Sean just disappears. Like I don't know if he had to take a piss or whatnot, but like he just like goes away, and then like you know he comes down and saves uh, Hunter, but. You know, I, I have a note that says this match is plotting, and then like DX super, suplexed the ladder onto Jericho, which I thought was very cool. They both had took like ladder on each side and just like suplexed it on him. I hadn't seen it. I said that woke me in the crowd up, but it shouldn't like that match should be electric from the beginning. It's not like you're working like a collar and elbow tie up match. This is like, you know, gimmicks galore, and it just seemed like these guys were just going through the motions. I'm not sure if it was because the end of the year, but it's just really upsetting like because they waited until like the last 10 minutes to get everything going which i thought was which i thought was fun like it showed big show destroying ladders which i thought was cool um you are right jt uh jericho died when that ladder because it felt like he hit his head on the side of that uh table i mean when he got knocked off a big show shoulder. Yeah, so was a sick bump. i was like oh that's that's why you're acting the way you are now jericho um 
but yeah, I just went three and a quarter. Like I was severely let down. And like you said, Scott, like if you looked at all these names, I'm like, oh, first half of the show may not be the greatest, especially after the women's match. We're going to pick up here. And, you know, I think my favorite match out of the four is probably Batista and uh, the last four is Batista and Taker. Or my, But yeah, it, it should have been blown away by the rest of the talent on here. But it's like they were stuck in third gear, sadly. Mm. All right. Well, that'll do it for the show. So when we get to our awards here, and we'll wrap things up. Um, I really struggle for an MVP on this show. Uh, nothing really jumped out at me. No one really stole the night. So I ended up going with DX. Um, I thought they were the most over the entrance. I like the finish. They stand tall at the end with the tag titles. I thought they looked the strongest. Um, so I, I don't know. On a show kind of void of like anyone stepping up, they kind of showed the best. I really wanted to give it to Sheamus, but for winning, you know, for, for having an amazing upset, but unfortunately the ending of the, the ending of the show just didn't do him any favors. So I'll, I'll agree with you on DX. Yeah. Let's make it easy. Sweet uh, DX for MVP. All right. Our LVP to me was a very easy choice on the show. And that was Teddy long destroyed the end of the main event. looked like a giant pussy at the end where Batista's making him cry. <laughs> this looked like a fucking loser on this show. I want to give it to Orton because I expected more out of him as, as a guy who's trying to mature as a main event experienced guy. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I, Teddy used to be kind of cool in that spot, but he's just like a waste of space at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, there needs to be some type of change because you have him flip-flopping like he's the big show in 1999 Raw. So Right. Yeah. No bueno. Yeah. Uh, best match, I, I had Christian and Benjamin at three and a half as my best match. Um, let me see here. Uh, yeah, I had Christian Benjamin three and a half too. I, I had uh, Taker Batista, but majority rules. No, no, no. Fu- no uh, fight for me. All right. Shockingly enough for me, the lowest graded match of the night was Cena versus Sheamus. Um, just underwhelming. Mine was the girls match. Um, I, I just, you know, I just couldn't get over. And it, it was just kind of sloppy at points. Yeah. My two lowest matches are the women's match and and the and Cena-Sheamus. I, I can't justify giving Cena Sheamus worst match because it wasn't that bad. Just the end sucked. So I'll go with the women's match too. All right. Uh, best moment of the night. I went with uh, Batista yelling at Teddy. It made Teddy look like a bitch, but it was the best Batista looked all night. Um, just being a, <laughs> an asshole and making Teddy cry. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, let's just go with that. I mean, there wasn't really much in the way of moments otherwise. No, there really wasn't. Not at all. Uh, surprise of the night. I mean, I th- again, I think this is pretty obvious it's, to me. It's Sheamus winning the world title. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that seemed obvious at all going into it. No, I agree. Yeah, I mean, everyone was shocked. Like the crowd was like stunned because th- they thought it was like just like challenger of the month. Right, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yep. All right. Well, I said it was a mid show. I'm going with a mid grade. Uh, five out of ten for me. You know, nothing stood out. It's a, it's a completely missable show. Like wasn't bad. Nothing worth going back to watch, in my opinion. Like, you could never watch a show again, and it would never affect you as a wrestling fan. Uh, just nothing really happened. Everything averaged out to me to pretty much be two and a half and three. Just a, a mid-grade show to wrap the year up. 
which is a, a come up. I mean, you know, think back to our December MSG, Scott, right? They're always like moribund. <laughs> so at least we've come yeah. a little ways on our December shows. Right. And I mean, uh, if you look back through history, are there any December pay-per-views that are ever really that great? No. I mean, no. Not there's some, really. but not, not a ton. There's a few. I mean, we could go. I mean, we could think about it, but. I mean, you know, maybe Armageddon 02. Vengeance 01, because that was a big deal. Well, but Armageddon 2000. Is Armageddon 2000. Yeah, I guess the Attitude Era, but for the most part, right. December is usually forgettable in a lot of ways, but this is the ultimate forgettable. I also give it 5 out of 10. Yeah, I'll go uh, 5 out of 10. Like, I got so frustrated after the Batista Taker uh, match that I had to, like, take a break for the day from watching mm-hmm. the matches. Um, just, and when that happens, that is never a good sign. Right. All right. All right. That'll do it for us here on this episode. Scott, we'll be back in two weeks. We'll kick off 2010. We'll get a little treat for you. Yes. Before we get to the next pay-per-view. So keep your eyes open for that in two weeks. Uh, Schiff, thanks for joining us as always. Be sure to check out everything we have to offer here at Place Nation on the Place Nation Wrestling Network, as well as Place Nation Pop Experience and over the North-South Connection, where we have audio and video content coming at you daily. Follow us on YouTube at the North-South Connection. Scott, again, we'll talk in a couple weeks. Everyone take care. But you always really